0: Morning, everybody. (laughs) Doesn't help. Morning, everybody. Good, please take your seats. Reading today is in Genesis 21 verses 8 through 21. And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw that the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, laughing and jest. Therefore she said to Abraham, "Drive out this maidservant and her son. The son of this maidservant shall not be an heir with my son with Isaac." And the matter distressed Abraham greatly because of his son. So God said to Abraham, Do not be distressed because of the boy and your maidservant. Whatever Sarah tells you, listen to her voice. And for, for through Isaac your seed shall be named. And the son of the maidservant, I will make a nation also, because he is your seed. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar, putting them on her shoulder and gave her the child and sent her away. So she went and wandered around in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was finished, she put the child under one of the bushels. Then she went and sat down opposite him, about a bowshot away, for she said, Do not let me see when the child dies. And She sat opposite him and lifted up her voice and wept. Then God heard the voice of the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter with you, Hagar? Do not fear, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Arise, lift up the boy, and, behold him, and hold him by the hand, for I will make a great nation of him. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew, and he lived in the wilderness and was an archer. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. These are the very words of God. Blessed be
1: the word of God. If you're not already there, please turn to chapter 21, verse 8 in Genesis. I will be teaching out of the uh, LSB translation of the text uh, I did last week. It is interesting. I was thinking about the potential ways to introduce this passage. Introductions are always important. Uh, We see those throughout our life. The introduction sets the mood for what we're going to be talking about. The best I could do was to think that this is like looking at a play when we look at these verses because of the characters that are in this particular part of the play. We have Abraham. We have Sarah. We have Hagar. We have Ishmael. And we have God. The main players in this text. We do have the angel of the Lord that comes in towards the end to minister to Hagar. But these are the main players, the only players that are in this text that we know by name. We had spoken last week about the miraculous birth of Isaac. We had spoken of not only how Sarah would. At 90 years old, that she could conceive, that the Lord allowed this to happen, that there was something miraculous that occurred, that then she was able to raise this child at 90 plus years old. As we dive into this text, we're going to find out that he is approximately two to three years old. When he's been weaned, that means he's been nursing for two to three years. She was 90 years old there had to be some form of renewal that came to Sarah to enable that to happen and in turn with Abraham too because 100-year-old men don't deal with 2-year-old sons very well so we know that the Lord was working miraculously in them. that the that Isaac as the son of the promise As the the one, he who laughed, the name given to him because when they had heard the news that at such a great age she would have a son, they laughed. So we come into this text now that Roy read this text in Genesis chapter 21, verse 8, and it says, And the child grew and was weaned. If we think of this in relationship to the promise that had been given, that he would be a great nation, that Abraham would be a great nation through his seed, through his son. We see that it is important that it is not just having a son, but the son must be raised. The son must grow into the age where they can have children so that the nations can grow from that. The text is very short, but very blunt, and it said the child grew and was weaned. He has made it to the next stage of life. He is no longer so dependent on his mother for nourishment that this is a momentous occasion for the promise. God is actively working through all of this. I cannot stress enough that God is not the absentee watchmaker who puts all these things in place, winds them up, and sits it on the table and lets it run until it runs down. God is actively involved in this. We're going to see God actively involved in this story too. So it says that the child grew and was weaned. And he, so as we approach that next section of his life, it says Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. He was no longer nursing to his mother. And so a great feast. This is a momentous occasion. The promise is true. The promise is coming true. The blessing is here. This son, Isaac, the one we didn't think could happen, has occurred. And look, he's growing in size and stature and maturity. It is a time for a party, a time for a celebration. And so Abraham, because of who he is, because of the lands that he owns, because of the flocks that he has, he is living in a pagan land, but what he does is he throws a party. That doesn't mean it's just a little house party for the people that are involved there. It would be all the people in the area would come, including those who are of pagan nature that live there. We know that he's right in the territory of Abimelech. Weathersby's going to preach on the covenant with Abimelech next week. But we can assume that a lot of people came to this party. We can assume that the fatted calves were killed, multiples. We can assume that there was great celebration because of this day that has come. We know that in Sarah and Abraham's mind that this is the promise that God had made come true. Now, we'll take it aside just for a moment, and we're going to talk a little bit about Abraham and Sarah's faith, because. It's going to come to a head here, the result of it. We know that Abraham and Sarah, well, let's say it this way. Calvin says it probably better than I can. Uh, their faith was defective. They had defective faith because, remember, Sarah offers up Hagar to have, have a child. I can't possibly have a child, I'm 87 years old at that time, or whatever it is, how old she is at that time, right? So their faith was defective, not in substance, their faith wasn't defective in substance, but with regard to method. They believed that God would give them a son, it was just the methodology they decided to tinker with. They believed that God would provide an heir for Abraham. It was the methodology that they didn't have the faith in. So we have this child with Hagar, Ishmael, a wild donkey of a man. We're told what he's going to be. I would take a moment here and say that we could perhaps say that this entire narrative here is all about faith and unbelief. Or we could say that faith and unbelief are incompatible. We could see that when we study the story as we get deeper into it, between Abraham and Ishmael and Hagar and Sarah, we see the contrast between faith and works. We see the difference between trust in God and trust in man and the results because of that. We could say also that we would say that when we learn what is going on here, we, we learn that it's not about us, but it is about God and what he does. So they had a problem with methods when they when they came in that, and that's what leads into verse 9, where we're standing at. And it says in verse 9, it says, And Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, the one who bore the first son for Isaac. Hagar the Egyptian. She saw him. Her eyes were directed to her and him, Ishmael, whom she had borne to Abram. And this, it says here that Ishmael was laughing in jest. Now, we're going to grab a contrast here because one thing we don't see in our English language is we don't see that the, the Hebrew term for laughing, sahak, is also the root word for the mocking that occurs here. So we are seeing a contrast between the son of the promise and, as Paul would say, the son of the law or works. The one is the son of the promise, the laughing one that is rejoicing in Isaac, and then we have this one who is Ishmael who is denying the promise and the blessing that God has given by his laughing and his jesting. He is not only mocking Isaac and he's not only mocking Abraham and Sarah, but he is also directly mocking the Lord. He is in direct opposition or opposition to what the Lord has taught. The Sarah is, is there. We can imagine this party. We can uh, actually we probably can't even imagine the size of this party. But we must, uh, we, we, we must we must imagine that there's music, there's great celebration, that Sarah and Abraham, this is the promise, and Isaac is the son of the promise. The only son that he will have with Sarah. He will have other sons. We're gonna find out after Sarah passes, but he's the only son through Sarah, that he has the one of the promise, the seed of the blessing. In this great celebration, and there, Sarah, the one who has borne this son, the son of the promise, sees over to the side, the finger pointing, the laughing, the mocking of what has come. There's no way that this boy, this child, this one, who could be the son of the promise, born to a 90-year-old woman, now 93 years old, 92 years the mocking that happens. We see the contrast of the great party of the great peace of belief to the unbelief that is demonstrated in verse 9, the mocking and the laughing at Isaac and the results we we have there is therefore she said sarah said to abraham drive out this maid servant now the terms for hagar have changed maid servant is the is the is, is the term that is used here before she was the maid right now she's has that almost that uh, that slave sort of idea that is captured here uh, the viewpoint of who hagar is is different now for sarah You must drive out this maidservant, this one who has this son to you, who is mocking the son of the promise, you must drive her out. Sarah, maybe unwittingly not realizing what this is, but she is basically stating forward there that belief and unbelief cannot coexist. Those who trust in the promise cannot exist with those who do not trust in the promise. They cannot coexist in the same place. They cannot live in the same lifestyle. They cannot be together. You must drive her out and her son, her 16, 17 year old son, must go with her. These ones who are jesting at God, who are mocking the Lord, who are mocking the only true God, these beings of creation, who are laughing at God, you must drive them out of our camp. They can no longer be here. Now, from Sarah's perspective, it could be just self-preservation. I mean, I wouldn't want to be. Could you imagine that the son of the maidservant laughing at your own true son? But in reality, what we're seeing here is the difference between belief and unbelief. Belief and unbelief. Now we we know that Sarah and Abraham wouldn't have 100% perfect belief, but they certainly are growing in maturity with their belief and trust in the Lord. They have had a son at 90 years old for Sarah and 100 years old for Abraham. You must drive this other one out. You must drive this other one, the son of the works of man, out. You must take this son Ishmael, who is the product of manipulation and untrust. You must drive him and his mother out of this camp. And then it says, The son of this maid servant shall not be in heir with my son with Isaac. It is so fitting that in Sunday school class today, we were talking about adoption and heirs that are here. And Sarah says that this son to the maidservant, uh, he's not going to partake of this, uh, of whatever the blessing is from the Lord. Now again, I would propose to you that Sarah is speaking uh, for, with, without thinking much about what has, uh, the Lord has promised right here, that she is probably speaking out of a point of uh, anger, perhaps, uh, unbelief, uh, and, and that this is the result uh, that has occurred, that she just wants them gone. But it tells great truth here that this son that is not of the promise will never be part of the promise that God has given. He will not be part of what God has given to Isaac. He will not be part of that son of adoption that Isaac had. That adoption into the family of God. He is not, Ishmael is not the one through whom the seed, which we know as Christ, will come. And therefore, he must be gone. And his mother too they can no longer be part of this camp of this enclave of our family now of course the it goes right to the next part of verse 11 it says in the matter greatly distressed abraham because of his son we can't miss the fact that ishmael is his son and for 16 years there's quite there's quite a difference between how you act around, say, a 14-year-old son when Isaac is born and a newborn. We can imagine or we would know and assume that that Abraham did things with Ishmael, that Abraham raised Ishmael to be a young man, that he taught Ishmael how to do things. Whether he's going out and hunting game, out tending to the flock, household administration, he would have certainly spoken about the Lord God too. So it greatly distressed him that this son, this fruit of his loins, that his true wife was saying, you must get rid of them. And he is worried, he is anxious, he has anxiety because of this. perhaps Abraham was straddling the fence between the non-promise and the promise being in the same camp and household. But it's now all come to a head. Isaac is growing up. He's becoming mature. Sarah says they must leave. Ishmael and Hagar must leave. Verse 12, so God... Said to Abraham. God knew what was going on in Abraham's heart and his mind. Take for a moment. Take a. Take a. We'll take a short journey through the Scripture, and we'll go to Psalm chapter thirty-nine, and we'll take a look there and just see what it has to say to us about God, about what God knows, what God does. Psalm 139. Again, I'm reading out of the LSB translation where Lord is translated as Yahweh. Verse 1, O Yahweh, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways, even before there is a word on my tongue. Behold, O Yahweh, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before, and you have put your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. I want to continue a little bit further because it fits with the lesson. Verse 7, where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I lift up the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say surely the darkness will bruise me and the light around me will be night. Even the darkness is not too dark for you, and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. So when it says in Genesis that that Abraham is greatly distressed, as we see there, the Lord knows. And he says in verse 12, do not be distressed. Because your boy and your maidservant, whatever Sarah, because of the boy and your maid servant, whatever Sarah tells you, listen to her voice. For through Isaac, your seed, your seed shall be named. We just read that passage in Psalm 139. The Lord knows all before the thoughts are even thought. He knows us intimately, knows Abraham intimately, knows exactly what he's doing with the promise intimately, also knows the promise that he had given to Ishmael, too. Do not be distressed. We could add there, we don't want to add to the scripture, but we could rightly say, Do not be distressed, for I am the Lord, and you are not. I direct all things. You are merely the creature, not the creator. Whatever Sarah tells you, You do what she says because I know exactly what she's telling you. I knew it before she even said it. And I also know that belief and unbelief cannot live in the same place together. Send them away. Get rid of the one who is not part of the promise. This can sound hard to us, but it is God's word. And my first response is, "What does it?" Uh, my first response is, "I believe it." What does it say? When it comes to God's word, it is only through Isaac that that through Isaac your seed shall be named. Those that are part of this nation that will be the sons and daughters of God Most High will come through the seed which will come through this line, which will culminate in Jesus Christ's birth. His incarnation, divinity on earth. That's where it comes through. It comes through no other line, fully directed by the Lord. Right? Verse 13, it says, And the son of the maid maidservant, I will make a nation also, because he is your seed, not the seed of the promise, not the seed of the blessing, not the seed of Genesis 315. but I have promised to make him a great nation also. If we turn back for a moment here. We go to Genesis 16, verse 11, it says, the angel of Yahweh said to her further, Hagar, behold, you are with child and you will bear a son and you shall call his name Ishmael. Because Yahweh, the Lord, has heard your affliction. He has heard of the affliction of Hagar, what has happened, that she is having this son. And he says, I will make him a great nation also, yet not the nation of the promise. Only that comes through Isaac. Verse 14. So as we came through the scriptures, we had the celebration of the promise. We have the problem of belief and unbelief. And starting in verse 14 through around 16, we're going we're to get more into that, the, that the unbelievers must leave. That belief and unbelief cannot coexist in the same place. Verse 14, it says, So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar, putting them on her shoulder and gave her the child. Now, we must remember that Ishmael is 16, 17 years old here. He's a young man gave her the child, and sent her away. So she went and wandered about in the wilderness of Beersheba. It, I get it. I can't imagine sending a son away. Or a daughter for that fact. But the Lord said, listen to Sarah. It is only through Isaac the promise is at." This one who is mocking the promise cannot can no longer live here, can no longer be in this presence. Besides the fact that I have also told them that I will make him a great nation, and just as you have seen Isaac be born to your 90-year-old wife, my promises come true. My promises happen. Turn to Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah 14. Fourteen, verse twenty-four. Lord of Hosts has sworn, saying, "Surely, just as I have intended, intended, so it has happened, and just as I have counselled, so it will stand." Don't be distressed, Abraham, over this son of yours, whom I'm sending out in the wilderness. This young man with his mother. Don't be distressed, because I made a promise to them too, that they will be a great nation, not the nation of the promise. But I have promised that they will be a great nation. For them to be a great nation, that means that Ishmael has to grow to maturity and have children. Do not be distressed. He gives them, Abraham gives them bread, gives them water, sends them off. They wonder about the area of Beersheba. And what we see is the result, too, here of what happens is disbelief in God's plan we see another example of unbelief for what God has promised to do. In verse 15 of Genesis chapter 21, it says, When the water in the skin was finished, she put the child under one of the bushes. We have an image here of somebody who is dying of thirst. That's the only way I can understand it, reading this, knowing that he is a 16 to a 17-year-old young man, that he is dying of thirst in the wilderness? Did she so quickly forget the promises the Lord made to her? Did she forget in her anger of being kicked out of the camp the promises that the Lord had made to her and her son? There is the only way to rectify that is to say yes. She did not believe in the promises that God had made. She is showing lack of faith in what God has done. What we do know is that it is a sin to not believe the Lord. It's the sin of unbelief calls the Lord a liar. And that is what we are seeing physically represented here. By sitting the boy under the bush, saying, he is dead, and I'm going to go, it says there later on, then it says in 16, 16, then she went and sat down opposite him about a bow shot away, so two, three, 400 yards away is where she's sitting. I don't believe what the Lord has told me, even though I've seen the birth of a child to a 90-year-old woman. And the Lord directly spoke to me. I don't believe what the Lord has told me, so I am letting my son die underneath this bush. And I can't bear to see him die, so I'm going to sit over here so I don't see it and hopefully don't hear him too much. But what she's doing is the physical representation of what sin does, of the lack of belief. 1 John 5.10. Turn with me to 1 John 5.10. The one who believes in the Son of God has this witness in himself. The one who does not believe, believe God has made him a liar. To not believe what God has said is to say, God, you are a liar. To take these words of Scripture and say, I don't believe that, is to say, God, you've lied to me. Because he has not believed in the witness which God has borne witness about his son. So way back there in Genesis, we see Hagar and Ishmael. We know the promise that the seed to come, that the Jesus to come, and they know that they have received the promise that God will make Ishmael into a great nation, and they don't believe. We saw they didn't believe when Ishmael was mocking these unbelievers have been driven out of the camp faith and unbelief are incompatible the sin of unbelief is without hope you're seeing that representation that physical representation of lack of hope right here I'm just going to lay my son down underneath this bush and hope I don't hear him pass away It's sad, really. It's really sad because she heard directly from the Lord what he was going to do. Yet the Lord is true to his promises even when we don't believe them. The Lord is true to his promises even when we don't believe them. Verse sixteen, I'll read it one more time. Then she said she went and she sat down opposite him about a bow shot away, where she said, Do not let me see when the child dies. And she sat opposite him and lifted up her voice and wept. Uh, There are so many things that are here, so many things that that come up and we think about of of what the situation is, the stress, the anxiety, the lack of trust in the Lord, the lack of trusting in what he said he was going going to do. Uh, We can hear almost the wailing and the weeping that is happening by this mother. Say, but God. Then God heard in verse 17, heard the voice of the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter with you, Hagar? Do not fear. God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. We could take that back to what I read in Psalm chapter 139. God knows it all. God made the promise, and he doesn't go back on his word. God said what would happen. He is going to come through with his promises. Do not fear that the boy will die because he won't, because my promises stand throughout time. For God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Verse 18, arise, lift up the boy, and hold him by the hand, for I will make a great nation of him the reminder of what he had previously said he was going to do ye of little faith ye of little faith then look what it says in 19 then God opened opened her eyes I want to pause right there for a moment if we could turn to Joshua I'm going to say Joshua 21. Joshua 21 verse 45, not one promise of the good promises which Yahweh had promised to the house of Israel failed. All came to pass. Now he's talking about the house of Israel, but this stands throughout time that all of God's promises come to pass. We could also think if we flip forward just for a moment, Mark chapter 9, I always love this particular story. It is the, the story, it comes in around verse 14 of the man whose son is being thrown into the fire by a demon, also trying to drown him. If you skip down to verse 22, he gives a little bit of a discussion there, the man And it says, and it, that meaning the demon, the possession has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the boy's father cried out and was saying, I do believe, help me with my unbelief. I do believe, help me with my unbelief. We could add if we were talking about belief in a in a greater, more detailed topical topical way in this particular message, we could say that Jesus sees what the Father has done and does those same things. Hagar does not believe he's helping her with her unbelief. It says that her eyes are open. And immediately the water had run out and had dried up, and she saw a well of water and she went and filled the skin with water, and gave the boy drink. Verse 20, and God was with the boy, and he grew, and he lived in the wilderness, and was an archer. And he lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. He would become a great nation. Now, we land at the end of the story there. We learn a couple things. We learn about faith and, and belief or unbelief and lack of faith that those things are incompatible. We see a child that is driven out of the wilderness with his mother. We see the lack of trust by those who have been given promises of the Lord to them, and we say, so what does it mean? What does, how does it apply to me? Well, it's interesting because Paul himself speaks about it in Galatians, about this story. And we could use this Latin term, *sensus plenor*, or *sensus uh, plenar, which means that there is a fuller sense to this story. There's the complete se- there's the complete story of the people, and we see what they do. But it has a greater meaning also as we come into the time after the seed was born, who is Christ. We see Paul looking back from Galatians at this story and saying. Listen, there is a lesson to be learned here about belief in unbelief. There's a lesson to be learned here about trusting in the Lord and trusting in your own works. And you can see it in the story that is told right here. So if you would turn to Galatians chapter 4, we'll see this. Galatians chapter 4 dive in right around verse 21 it says or excuse me 22 for it is written that Abraham had two sons one by the servant woman and one by the free woman the servant woman being Hagar the free woman being Sarah but the son by the servant woman had been born according to the flesh we'll stop right there methodology they didn't trust in what God was doing how he was bringing about the promise So they trusted in the flesh to make it happen. My wife of 90 can't quite possibly have a child, so I'll take the maidservant instead. That's works. Trusting in the flesh to bring about the promise, right? While the son by the free woman while the son by the free woman through the promise, this is spoken with allegory. Understand that this is not the American understanding of allegory, but this is typology is what we're talking about. Allegory in America indicates that there's some form of hidden meaning or a hidden hidden mystical meaning that is there. That's the, the shortest version I can give it. That is not what Paul is saying. This is a transliteration of the Greek word that is here. It is typology. This is a, this again, census planner. We know exactly what happened back then, and it is exactly 100% true, and there is a fuller meaning now that the seed has been revealed in Christ Jesus. Right? For these women are two covenants, one from Mount Sinai, bearing children into slavery. She is Hagar, those ones who trust in the law to save that Paul is speaking against here in Galatia. The ones who trust in the works of the law, checking boxes. To make sure it's true, to make, excuse me, checking boxes to make sure I I can check all the boxes, therefore, Lord, save me, which is a false gospel. Now, this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children, but the Jerusalem above is free. In Christ Jesus, free grace is given, right? He's drawing that. That, that correction, the one believes in the promise, the other manipulates the situation to bring it about. But Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother. For it is written, this is out of Isaiah 54.1, talking this this particular passage out of Isaiah 54.1, speaking about uh, Israel, who has been in the dysphoria, who has been cast out who seemingly has no hope. And it says, rejoice, barren woman, that is Israel, who does not give birth, break forth and shout, you who are not, a, not in labor, for more numerous are there the children of the desolate one than are the one who has a husband. This is the promise, another passage of promise that is coming about that the Lord will do. Verse 28, and you brothers, you believers, you who trust in Jesus in accordance with Isaac are children of the promise the greater meaning that has come forth from the story that Paul is drawing upon, he has that ability as an apostle, not us. Best to trust them when they use this census planner than trying to find it ourselves. But as at the time, verse 29, he who was born according to the flesh was persecuting him who was born according to the spirit Goes right back to that beginning, right back to the party, right back to the celebration. The one of the flesh is mocking the one of the spirit. Guys and gals, we can see that today. You will be mocked for your belief in Christ Jesus by those of the entirety of the world that are in the flesh, that are trusting in their 401Ks, their cars, their jobs, Trusting in their families and going to soccer tournaments on Sunday. You will be mocked for missing the soccer tournament on Sunday and going to church. You see it nowadays. It is like Ishmael sitting there. Ha ha, look at you. How can you possibly believe at that? We say, how can you possibly not? Look around. Look at what the Lord has done. This doesn't just happen by accident. And you brothers, Again, in accordance with Isaac are children of the promise. But us, but as at this time, he who was born according to the flesh was persecuting him who was born according to, to the spirit. So it is it is now also. But was does what does the scripture say? Cast out the servant woman and her son, for the son of the servant woman shall not be an heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brothers, we are not children of a servant woman, but of the free woman. We are of Abraham's line, of the line of Isaac. We look at these verses then, we see this story, we see this physical representation of what it, as Paul uh, notes there, of what it is between the spirit and the flesh. We see how they had trusted in the flesh to bring about the promise, and we see that it does not work. We must trust in God and God alone. We must, when God says, believe in my son as Lord and Savior and you will be saved, I say, I do believe, help me with my unbelief. And he will say, I've got you covered. I've got a whole Bible that tells you all about it. Read it. Be in it. Study it. And you will see the great works that I've done and the great works I will continue to do. We look at this story and we trust in the Lord because the Lord even provided to the non-believer as he said he would do. So how much more will he give to the heirs? How much more will he give to you that believe in Christ Jesus? How much more do you have, as, as Roy said in Sunday school class, as those adopted into God's family? I don't need a skin of water and a loaf of bread. I got the entirety of heaven as a home. I got my Lord and Savior where I can see. This is just passing away. Trust in the promises that you give. Believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Do not leave here today without knowing Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Glorious and Heavenly Father, I say that all the time. Glorious and Heavenly Father, what more can we say about you? Words just fall short when we consider the majesty and magnificence of what you have done, how you have brought about creation, how you have seen us since before we were born, how you have chosen us out of nothingness to be sons and daughters and heirs to you, the God Most High. That we have Jesus as our Lord and Savior, that we trust in what He has done and what He continues to do, how He intercedes for us. Help us to reverently fear you, Lord, to trust in you, to find our life in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.